friends. Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast. Yeah, you probably heard that incorrectly. I pressed play on the wrong music for the show. That was another podcast, but we got it right. We are here and uh, doing the IT Business Podcast, the show for IT professionals, where we try to help you support your clients better, smarter, and faster. This is one of our audio shows. And I have to thank our good friends over at Super Ops for sponsoring these shows and helping us out. Gives me a little bit more runway where I can chat with people and flesh out things a little bit better rather than trying to cram them all into the weekly live show. And in this particular case, uh, we are going to be kind of going down a different road. I know that I've told you in the past and you have heard us do shows that are a little bit off tech because we as business owners, we as leaders, uh, as communicators, we need help. And we need help sometimes from people outside of our regular circles. So we are doing that today. I am bringing in uh, another coach, another person from outside our sphere. Uh, Karen Nab is an executive leadership coach. And she does a lot of things that I think we are going to love. So without further ado, let me go ahead and bring her in and we'll get her introduced along the way. Karen, how are you? I'm great, Marv. How are you? I am doing good. So here we are. And I tried to lay out for the listeners a little bit, uh, but we are going to be talking about things like communication, conflict resolution, uh, passive aggressive leadership, <laughs> I guess is a way to go it. Yep. Um, but let me ask a quick question just to lay something out there. We have a term in our field called trusted advisor. Mm -hmm. And it is a term that we use when we want our customers to listen to us. Mm, we, okay. we claim that we want to be the trusted advisor. They should take our advice. We're the experts. They're not. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gets misused because we try to make it sound like, oh, we're partners in this. You know, we're here to help you with your business when in fact, most of us use it as, why don't you just listen to me? <laughs> so I know that that came up in your background and we'll get into a lot of your background, but I wanted to start with that and ask that question. What exactly does trusted advisor mean in your world? Right. Yes. Well, in this case, it is the name of a coaching program that I participated in that was about nine months in length and run by a great coach out of the Bay Area, Brian Franklin. And his philosophy is that the more ways, the more dimensions we can help people within in their day-to-day -day lives, the more value we bring to them as a coach. So not just looking at one dimension or being a one-trick pony or teaching them one skill or value, we can do lots of different things. And so the coaching program that I was in, it was meant to help us be broader in scope to be able to address different issues that people bring to us so that we can provide more value beyond maybe one coaching session or even a month of coaching sessions. Okay. All right. So in a sense, it's kind of what we say it's supposed to be. We just don't do it properly. Right. I mean, I think we don't want to be the end-all, be-all, right? We want people to think for themselves. So there's maybe a little bit of a different connotation that in my program where we want to coach people, mentor people, help people um, come to their own conclusions. So we're not always telling them what to do. 
we're giving them a chance to explore different ideas that they might have and trust their intuition more. Okay. All right. So that's about as far as we can go with the relation to trust advisor in <laughs> yeah, our context yeah. here. So let's mm-hmm. now go back to what you do in your business. Now you're you're uh, an executive leadership coach, which wasn't always your background. But tell me what what was it that got you into being a leadership coach? Mm-hmm. Right. So I had spent about 15 years as a marriage and family therapist, so mental health background, clinician. And a few years ago, I got the itch to try something new. And a couple things inspired that. One was that during those 15 years, I had been a leader in a couple of different ways. Um, One job in particular that was the most impactful was I was a program director working right underneath an executive director at a behavioral health center. So I was doing clinical work, but then I was also doing a lot of HR work and program development and things like that. So I really stepped into my leadership skills in that opportunity, and it wasn't easy. And part of why I can talk to other people about the challenges of leadership is because I didn't have much to go on at the time myself. And did get some mentorship, did get some resources to improve my skills. But the reason I feel so passionately about doing coaching with others is because I know that just because you're promoted or you own a business, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have these leadership skills. They're not something that come sometimes naturally to people. I mean, we could be skilled in all sorts of other areas. We could be really smart or know a lot about business. But leadership is about the interpersonal component of business. And those are skills that um, we may have been taught or we may not have. And if we haven't, we can learn them. So it sounds like you're talking about a lot of us as techs. Many of us got into our tech business because we were either good at our job and wanted to grow beyond the job we were at, so we thought we could do it better ourselves, so we started our own business. Or we realized that we couldn't or didn't want to work for somebody else. (laughs) Or we found an opportunity in order to do the tech business. But a lot of us aren't leaders. So when it comes to growing a business and dealing with employees or even going out and talking to customers – we lack in those areas. And that's what happens in a lot of our, uh, you know, our groups, our forums and stuff. A lot of times people are asking, Hey, how do you handle this? Hey, how do you, how do you do this? You know? So that was one of the reasons why when we met, I thought, Ooh, this would be cool to have somebody chat with us all about that. So this sounds mm-hmm. good. Before well, we I'll get- say that solopreneurs absolutely need leadership skills. Right. You know, you are the CEO of your own business and you do have customers and vendors and contractors that you're dealing with. And so there's lots of opportunities for interpersonal interactions and having that confidence about your own leadership skills can, will only make it easier for you. So I I understand why people go into this Well, they want to be their own boss. And at the same time, they actually can never get away from learning how to be a leader because no one else is going to do it for you right. in your own business, right? It's 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 up to us yeah. to advocate for ourselves. Now, I know you've only been at it for a few years, but in terms of the types of people that you've worked with, has it been 
more of the executive CEO types that are, you know, larger businesses, or are you finding it to be a lot of people that are solopreneurs, you know, or just starting out? Well, I wouldn't say have, you know, high, um, they don't companies that I work for aren't super big, right? They are still small businesses, but they certainly have employees. These are small business owners who um, have been around for a while, who are really kind of burning out. They want to figure out a better way to have a sustainable business going. Some are more um, leaders who want to be promoted within their companies. So maybe they're not at an executive level yet, but they want to get there. So they want to enhance their leadership skills. And some are, solopreneurs who really just know that they need to be better at the sales and the, you know, the interactions and the customer communications, all of those things that they know they need help at. And I, and I work with them as well. All right. So is this a, is this a passion for you? Because it sounds like if you spent 15 years doing the family therapy thing, that the shift came for a particular reason. So I wanted to find out, is, is it really a passion? It. It, abs- it absolutely is. And actually teaching people about their communication style is one of my biggest passions because it affects everything, right? When it, it's the most basic building block of having confident leadership style is how we communicate. And all of us have encountered communication problems, right? When we're not a great communicator, that leads to all sorts of things, right? Misunderstandings, unresolved conflicts, disconnected relationships, extra stress or tension around certain people around us. So we all know what it's like to not be a great communicator and have all of those results. So studying our own communication style can help us avoid so many of those problems, both in our personal and our professional lives and help us live in a healthier way. So teaching people the building blocks like we're going to talk about today is definitely something that I see that can have long range effects. It can ripple out, not just in your own personal life, but also into your work life as well. All right. Uh, Let me make a quick programming note to the listeners here. So Karen and I have been talking for a few months actually about putting this together. We already know that we're not going to be able to do this in one show. So just to lay the groundwork for everybody, we are actually going to have a couple of audio shows first, and then she is going to be joining us for a live show. And just uh, in case you are wanting to uh, put that on your calendar, she is going to be on uh, Wednesday the 14th for the live show that we're doing there. So just a a little programming note. Uh, We are going to try to get into these communication types because we need a starting place. We need to understand who are we and where do we fit when it comes to being a communicator. So let's go ahead and start there, I guess, when you talked about, you know, the different types of communications or communicators. What Mm -hmm. what are the four types? Well, before I go into the four types, Uh I want to back up a little bit and give a little bit of uh, kind of a foundation because okay. there's some pieces that are actually much, they're going to be useful later. Okay. Right. So one thing that I wanted to talk to your audience about is that, you know, quantifying communication, right? Can we really quantify how we communicate? Because that seems, it can be sort of nebulous sometimes, right? Like really, how do we know if someone's a good communicator or a bad communicator? We kind of have a sense of it, but 
it's not so easy, but we, there is actually a way and, and I'm going to talk about it right now. So it's, it's, I'm pretty excited about it. So, <laughs> can, when we think about, so first of all, first of all, explain what you mean by quantify communication, because even though, right. even though we're techie people, the mm-hmm. whole idea of, okay, first of all, what is quantify when it comes to communication? Mm-hmm. So there are data points that we can look at within ourselves and other people that our brains are registering unconsciously already that tell us whether or not we're delivering a message as accurately as we can or that we're receiving the message the way they, the, the sender is intending for us. Okay. And we can, we can actually notice those things and we see them unconsciously, but to make them conscious is what we can talk about right now is how can we see those data points for ourselves and take note of what we're doing in ourselves to make sure that our message is getting across the way we intend it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so communication really does have two different components. One is verbal and one is nonverbal. And verbal communication consists simply of the actual words that we speak, right? So, and many people think that that's the only thing that's necessary in communication. And, you know, we could say the same thing from the perspective of, say, a professor, or we could say it from the perspective of a parent, or we could say it from the perspective of an engineer. We're going to, the words are going to be a little bit different, but the message is going to be similar. That's that's verbal communication, just different using different words. Okay. But nonverbal communication consists of the additional, I call it flair that we put in our in our conversation. So it includes things like our tone of voice or the volume or the speed of our speech, what our face is doing, um, if we're making eye contact or not, what our hands and our body are doing, or how close or how far we're even standing from someone when we're talking to them, or even actually how we're dressed or our appearance. People are taking in all of these data points from us when we're talking to them, whether we realize it or not. And so if you are if you had to guess how much of our overall message comes from verbal versus nonverbal communication, what would you guess? There's just a percentage oh, I, verbal I, versus nonverbal. I know I've heard this somewhere before, and I I don't know that I've ever been given a percentage, but I know it's at least 50-50, but there's, I have this feeling that it's going to be more like 75% nonverbal, 25 verbal. Am I close? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And most people don't even come close to that. That was an excellent answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so studies show that verbal communication makes up between, some studies show only 10%, up to 30% mm. of our actual message. And the rest of it comes from our nonverbal communication. So 70 to 90%. So it matters quite a bit the way that we're talking and the tone and all the other nonverbal pieces. And so, you know, a lot of the ways that we communicate are in things like email and text messages, right? Is there, where you cannot, where you cannot see the flare. Right. Right. So there's lots of opportunities to get those messages misinterpreted. Right. Okay. And so what do people do? People, we try to add flair. How do you know, like, how do people try to add flair? What do you do in, in your own messages to kind of emphasize things? Well, I, <laughs> so I'm not the person that does flair in my emails, but I know that people where they will do, 
you know, caps. They'll mm-hmm. add the emojis. They'll mm-hmm. add the LOLs mm-hmm. and their little stick figures. Yep. I mean, yep, exactly. So we're, we're without even maybe realizing it, we're trying to put some flair right. into our messages so that our messages gets rece- get received better. Because we know that there might be some, there's a lot of room for misinterpretation right. with this stuff, right? 70%, up to 90% could be, could be misinterpreted if we don't. And, and our brains will do that. Our brains will try to put our, um, they'll try to fill in those gaps for ourselves. If we don't know what's, what the other person meant, mm-hmm. our brain will try to do that for us. And that could be problematic. All right. So Now, now before yeah. we go on, I, I have a quick question because mm-hmm. we brought up email. Text messaging is now a part of that. All of these channels that we have, you know, Slack and Teams and uh, the way that there's this push now to do everything through chat boxes and stuff like that. So there's not going to be any flair in those. So let me ask you this. I assume that a lot of these indicators have changed over the years because not to state your age uh, or my age, but back when we grew up, you know, we didn't have all those things. You had to talk face to face. You had to show that stuff. And then, I mean, we did have the telephone, but it was, you know, if you wrote a letter that there was flair in just simply writing a letter as opposed Mm -hmm. to now, you know, thumbing out a text and pushing along. So, how much of that has really changed in the last few years? So much of it has changed, okay. right? I mean, younger kids, teens, young adults, they don't even know how to talk. Not, no, I shouldn't say no. They don't talk on the phone. Their preferred method of communication is texting. They don't talk face-to-face. No, they don't talk face-to-face. <laughs> they talk on FaceTime. <laughs> Which, and the reason I bring that up is because some of the business owners that we've talked to, either on the show or in these forums... There's that communication issue where the kids coming into the force now that are 25, 30, we can't communicate with them. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to come in and do interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a learning curve. It's not like they can avoid learning how to communicate forever. I mean, that's not really an option. So there's a learning curve. And so as a business owner, understanding that and sort of emphasizing that this is, you know, you understand that they're uncomfortable, but that that you'll help them, you'll bring them along, you'll guide them into this new way, because it is something that they really haven't had to do much of. And, you know, it's up to us if we want their skills and abilities, we also have to work with them on some of their social skills. And actually, there's some like leadership development programs that specifically emphasize working with Gen Zers on social skills now. So they're expanding into that area because they see such a lack (laughs) So, okay. I mean, certainly not everybody. I don't want to stereotype at all, um, but it's it is an area that, um, you know, there's there's additional support if necessary. Okay. All right. Uh, a side note here: you're not going to understand this, but some listeners do. A couple of shows ago, I called myself a boomer when I was talking to a millennial, or I don't know, I don't know what they are, and I just said I'm just I'm probably just a boomer, and I got corrected. And somebody reached out to me and actually showed me I'm not a boomer, so I'm not as old as I act. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't think you're a boomer. Okay. 
Um, all right. So I took us off track now. So we were talking about uh, how to quantify communication. So did I did I lose you too much in your points there? No, no. So we talked about nonverbal and verbal. Right. And I have one more piece of foundational information that I want to share before we actually talk about the styles okay. and how they look. And it has a little bit – it has to do with brain chemistry. It's just really quick, but it's actually really important. So there's two parts of the brain that are active when we're talking about communication. And that's all we're going to talk about. So the first is the prefrontal cortex, which is at the front of our brain near the forehead. And that's really the newest part of our brain. And it's evolved to help us be uh, rational, to solve problems, to think through things. It allows us to be patient and not have a thought and have to immediately act on it, as a lot of other animals have to do. And so that allows us to think through things and, and respond in a calmer way. Now, if that was the only part of the brain at play, we wouldn't have any trouble communicating. But unfortunately, there's another part of the brain called the amygdala that is at the back of the brain near the brain stem. That's one of the oldest parts of the brain. And the purpose of the amygdala is to keep us safe from danger and threatening situations. And a lot of people have heard about that. We've been talking about this a lot more in the news and things. The amygdala, it sends us into a fight or flight place when right. we're feeling a threat, right? And so one of the things that it does is it forces the body to release adrenaline, which sends us into that fight or flight state. So what it does, it changes our body. Adrenaline makes us, it sends blood and energy to our limbs so that we can fight off an attacker or run away from someone. But it also has to shut down some of our systems to do that. And one of the things it shuts down is our digestion, which, of course, who cares if we're not alive anymore, if our lunch is digested. But the other thing it shuts down is our prefrontal cortex. It shuts down that front part of our brain because it doesn't want us overthinking how we're going to escape. Because if we were to have the ability to pause and say, huh, I need to run away from this intruder. Am I wearing the right shoes for that? Should I change? Should I put some sneakers on? We would never survive. Mm. So that is really important to understand that when we're in a heightened state and we feel some level of threat, and this isn't just physical threat, it could also feel like an emotional threat, like someone's yelling at us, right? Someone's upset with us or someone's even ignoring us. Those things set the amygdala off in the same way, which makes it super inconvenient a lot of the time. Because we're not able to access our prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part, which is the rational part. Okay. So. Uh, all right, I'm going to well, ask. We'll find I'm, ourselves being more irrational at some of those moments. And we'll find ourselves doing and saying things that we look back on. We're like, why did I say that? I didn't mean that. And it's almost because there's two of us. There's the part of us that's operating out of the amygdala, feeling defensive and angry and lashing back. And there's the part of us that operates out of the prefrontal cortex, which can be calmer and more reasonable. And oftentimes when we're upset, we're coming from the amygdala. So when people say, I wasn't thinking, they could be 100% correct. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And I want to share, that's such an important thing for me to share. And everybody I share it with really appreciates understanding that because you're not, people aren't bad people. You're not a bad person for overreacting or being angry about things. It has to do with your brain. And the more you can understand how the brain works, the less you can feel bad about it and work to, and the more you can work to change it because there are ways to change it. All right. Let me ask a dumb question for 
me that I hope the listeners will appreciate. Why do we call the prefrontal cortex the new part of the brain and the amygdala the old part of the brain? It's just the evolution of it, right? So the amygdala evolved way back in the day. They can trace it back. I don't want to say thousands, millions <laughs> to of years. Man days. Millions of years. Um, where the prefrontal cortex is only, only shows up in certain mammals. It's and only the smart ones. So only certain mammals have it, and it allows us to make better, like dolphins and which is you know elephants. I think have one. It allows us to make better decisions and think through things. Hmm. Interesting. And operate as a group. All right. Well, that sounds like science, and I don't want to talk about science too mm-hmm. much more yeah. than that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's move on. So now okay. to your question about communication the, styles. The four types of communication or four yes. styles. Yes. So the four styles. So just to list them out, I'll say here's the four. Aggressive, passive, passive-aggressive, and assertive. And the first three are all based in the amygdala. The last one is based in the prefrontal cortex. So that's why I went through that amygdala piece. And I'm going to talk about each one and the different the different data markers that we can look at to understand each one. So I'm going to break it down into verbal and nonverbal signs and data points. Okay. So aggressive, that's kind of the easiest style to understand just to talk about it. Some of the things that aggressive people say verbally, their verbal data points are, you know, they swear a lot. They use intimidating words. They can be critical or judgmental. Um, they blame other people. You know, they, you did this. You made me do it. It's your fault. Um, they tend to always see themselves as being 100% in the right and never in the wrong. And when it comes to conflict, they really tend to escalate it or even invite it. So they start conflicts by their rhetoric, by some of the things that they say and the way that they say it. Some of the nonverbal data points that you can see are somebody who talks with a really loud voice, somebody who's maybe glaring at you or, you know, kind of staring you down, somebody who gets in your physical space or stands over you, or somebody who even like throws things or slams a door when they're talking, right? All those things, you're kind of, you're, you're registering unconsciously, like, okay, this is actually not a great situation. But to, to say it out loud and be like, wow, that's actually kind of an aggressive move. Sometimes we do those things and we don't realize that other people are perceiving us in, in that type of way. And so it, we're going to find ourselves in all four of these styles. <laughs> I see you yeah. looking at me because <laughs> my, my first thought is I didn't even ask you when it comes to these styles. It sounds like a lot of this is learned behavior or could be learned behavior. Uh, where somebody sees a reaction and so they will continually do something like swear or slam things. Mm-hmm. Um, but they may not necessarily have that as their main personalities. Does that make sense? Right. It, it's often unconscious, okay. right? So they, they learn it, they start doing it, and they may not think about it. They may not think about how they're coming across. It's just how they are. Um and certain, you know, most of us act differently in different environments too. So most people can't keep up an aggressive style everywhere, right? It's exhausting, but they'll find themselves in, in some of these other styles in other environments. So it's good to kind of look for yourself in all of them. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. And so then the second style is the passive style. And this is, we're also coming 
the amygdala is at play here as well. So when we're passive, we tend to not really say anything. We don't offer our own opinion. We don't weigh in on things. We tend to just keep quiet, honestly. Um, but when we do say things, people often will blame themselves for things. They'll apologize a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, it's my fault. I didn't mean that. Um, and they tend to say things just to kind of mm, not rock the boat. I'm fine. It doesn't matter. I don't care what movie we go to. I don't care we, where we go for dinner. You know, I don't care about that project. Whatever you want to do is fine. They say those types of things a lot because they really want to avoid conflict altogether. So where the aggressive person invites conflict, the passive person wants to avoid it. And some of the things they do that are nonverbals are they talk more in a lower tone or a softer voice. They don't tend to make eye contact or they might look down a lot. Um, they'll tend to sit uh, maybe away from other people or when other people are standing, they're sitting, or maybe they'll sit in the back of a room and not really participate. So again, those are all more, more passive markers that you can recognize in people. Um, and for both of these, the aggressive and the passive style, I mean, well, we just, they don't, they don't know how to resolve conflict very well. I mean, they're both trying to, they're not de-escalating it, they're escalating it or avoiding it. And their relationships aren't great. Um, you know, when you're blaming someone else for your problems all the time, I mean, people and criticizing people, maybe people are around you for a little while, but they definitely don't want to be around you for the long term. So if you're working with somebody who's aggressive, you're probably going to try to change your job or move away from them or somehow get out of that situation. And then same thing with passive people. They try to be liked, but oftentimes their relationships aren't that great because they don't really ever express themselves. So people don't know what they're really thinking or what they're really like because they don't ever share it. All right. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. So aggressive and passive. Mm-hmm. Two extremes. Two extremes. And then we have probably the toughest one in my opinion, which is passive aggressive. And so passive aggressive is also used coming out of the amygdala. And the main marker, the main verbal marker here is sarcasm and joking. Really? Yes. <laughs> I, okay. I didn't think that would I, – I thought it would be more of the controlling or backhanded type stuff. Well, yeah. So the marker of passive-aggressive communication is essentially saying one thing but doing or meaning another. Okay. And that's sarcasm in a nutshell, right? I mean, right. that's – it's essentially you're saying one thing, but the the way you interpret it is often the opposite of the words you're saying. Okay. And and it's a mixed message, right? So you're not really sure when someone's being sarcastic, are you being serious or are you joking? Right? And it's a way for people to kind of be indirect in communicating where you, they're not telling you what they really mean and you're having to guess. And if you guess wrong, well, then it's your fault, not mine, oh, right? Okay. That's kind of how they feel. Yep. So <clears throat> they use also they use gossip a lot, which is really problematic in interpersonal relationships where they're talking about someone else who's not there in a derogatory way, right, to make them look bad. And so that really, you know, if somebody's doing that as they're talking to me, I'm thinking, well, what are they saying about me? When I'm not in the room, right? That's essentially all I'm doing. So being someone who's passive aggressive tends to also have poor relationships, which we'll get to. 
Um, and in terms of conflict, they often stir the pot. You know, they're going to add fuel to the fire. They're going to be in there, you know, with their gossip and trying to kind of distract people from maybe looking at themselves, you know, like, okay, if I'm talking about this person over there and what they're doing wrong, nobody's going to be looking at me. So, and it's, it's difficult to confront them on some of these things. Uh, Other things they do that are nonverbals. These are always really fun to go through in an audience. Uh, Eye rolls, right? (laughs) People roll their eyes (laughs) or sighing where they just are like, oh, fine, right? So they're saying it's fine, but the sigh indicates otherwise. And that's like so many teenagers out there, right? That's that's what we know. Other things that could be passive aggressive, being late, not all the time, but sometimes being late indicates that, you know, I said I would do this, but I really didn't want to say yes, or I really don't want to be here. So I'm going to show up late just to kind of, you know, because I couldn't actually say no, but I'm saying no with my wor- with my actions instead of my words. So we want to be careful that when we're late to things, it's for a legitimate reason, not because we should have just said no in the first place, right? And then the last piece is, um, you know, if you're talking to somebody that you are kind of done with the conversation, but you don't know how to end it, and you start texting or you start like playing with your phone or trying to distract. It's passive aggressive. And instead of just saying, you know what? I really need to get going. We, I really need to move on to the next thing here. You, you make the other person kind of figure out like, Oh, do you need to go? Was that, do you need to take that call? You make the other person do it instead of you doing it. Okay. And that's I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. So folks, of course, we're doing this where we can see each other on video and Karen's been looking at me because I've been making faces because I'm trying <laughs> to translate some of these actions as if, okay, wait a minute. Okay. But if I do that in this situation, I, I don't see it that way. But so the, what you just said about trying to leave and texting in order to get away. But so I've done that, but I do it after I've tried to tell the person, all right, I got to go. Mm-hmm. And they keep talking okay. and they won't let you go. Mm-hmm. So then it's a matter of trying to figure out, okay, what can I do to make this person realize that I got to go mm-hmm. without being, in my mind, aggressive? Mm-hmm. Sure. So That's perfect. That's that's not – I mean, you start – you tried to be assertive, which is our fourth style. Okay. You tried to be direct, which is what we want. Hey, I really need to get going. I'm so sorry. You can't always control what the other person does. Right. Right. You can't, you can't say that. So I think trying some another strategy is perfectly fine after you've tried to be direct. So this is just in the absence of being assertive when your only tool is to be passive aggressive. That's not great. Okay. All right. Let me let you finish before, (laughs) and then, and then I'll (laughs) reconcile all the thoughts I have going on because I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see myself there. I can see myself there, but let's, Mm-hmm. Okay, so this all sounds really bad, right? The first three sound like, <laughs> oh, geez, do I do those things? Like, I hope I don't. Sounds really bad. We all do them, especially when we might be tired or, you know, our brain's not working great. We've just had a long day. We're exhausted. We can fall into any one of these, and it's okay. We just want to make sure that we know that there's a different way, and we're starting to build more awareness about a the more healthy way or the more effective way to communicate, right? Which is being assertive. 
So what being assertive looks like is, first of all, it's coming from the prefrontal cortex. We have to be calm. We can't be activated. We can't be really upset in order to be assertive because otherwise our prefrontal cortex isn't working. And so, but when that's the case, when we are calm, the things that assertive people say start, usually they start with I, I statements. They talk about things from their own perspective. They're not blaming other people and they're not fully blaming themselves either. They take a part in whatever conflict they have, but they're not going to take on the whole thing. They're able to speak honestly and with respect and kindness to the other person. That's a big marker of assertive communication, that not only am I going to tell you what I'm thinking and what I'm needing, but I'm also going to do it in a way that's kind and respectful. I'm going to be able to speak and listen to the other person. I'm not just talking the whole time, nor am I just sitting back and not saying anything. And I'm actively working to de-escalate conflicts. I want us to figure a way through this. I want us to collaborate. I want us to sort this out. And I'm going to use those types of words when I'm talking to people to make sure that they know that I'm trying to solve this problem and not make it worse. Um, the things that they do non-verbally are they make good eye contact. You know, they lean in or have a more open posture when they're talking to you and they're not distracted. They're not doing on their phone. They're not doing something else while you're talking with them. And so that makes it a lot easier to talk to somebody and have a more effective conversation when that's happening. Okay. So knowing the four styles mm -hmm. and knowing where you fit within the four styles, I don't know if you had planned to do this, but how do we kind of figure out where we are, especially if we float back and forth? Mm -hmm. I like to present all four of them because I want people to see that, yes, we all do float back and forth at times and it's okay. So you're not going to be able to say, this is me, except within maybe one context. So a lot of people are very assertive, say, in their work environment, but they feel more passive or maybe more aggressive sometimes in a different environment. So it's not to say that we don't know. A lot of us know how to do some of this already, but we just need to apply it into more environments in our life and work and understand that when we're tired or when we're overworked, it's going to be a lot harder because that's when our amygdala takes over and our prefrontal cortex kind of taps out. All right. So where do you normally use this type of training when you're talking to leaders? Is it is it when, you know, companies are trying to get everybody to work better together? Is it situations where somebody comes to you and says, look, I am struggling or I want to be a better leader? Is this how that you know starts to all come together? So this topic is probably more under leadership development and like a, there'd be like a broader training okay. where you'd want to give this information to a lot of people at once so that they can kind of self-assess versus if I was working with one person who I got feedback from people that worked with them, that they were say more aggressive or more passive, for example, I would explain this to them to say, Hey, this is how you're being perceived. This is the feedback. So we need to make some adjustments. And usually people are surprised to know. They don't really know how they're perceived very well, which is why doing a 360 assessment is so helpful. Um, and this is good for all of us to assess ourselves and even ask people that we're close to, like, hey, how do I come across? Like, do you, do you feel like I'm approachable? 
can you talk to me? Or do you feel like I'm honest with you? Or do I just withhold sometimes? So we can do that for ourselves as well. Well, I was going to ask, how would somebody self-assess? Because I don't think that anybody can honestly say in every particular situation, ooh, yeah, I just said that. That sounded passive-aggressive. I think that there's going to be some denial there. So how do you get a true self-assessment? I mean, it's not like you're going to be able to listen to us as we go about our day, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I think just from using the baseline that we all do all these things and we don't, you know, I'm not trying to convince somebody that they do them. I know they do them. You know, it's just a matter of saying like, okay, is this actually working for you? Do you see how this is problematic? I'm not going to argue with somebody about whether they're passive aggressive. We all are passive aggressive at times. It's just a matter of saying, where are you doing these things? And is that really the best way to work through that or address that person? They're usually more aware of the tension or the conflict with the person versus the way that they're adding to it. That's what I find most often when I coach people is they know that they just don't feel comfortable around somebody or they know that they had an argument a while back and they just still don't want to be around them but they don't necessarily track it to their own right. participation and their own style. Okay. And that's what I do is I'll help them track it backwards to what, how they contributed to it. Okay. So it's not where I'm going to go to everybody I know and say, so how do I come across? <laughs> I mean, it's not a, the worst idea in the world. I mean, we don't get enough of that. You know, we don't get enough of that feedback sometimes, especially if we work on our own, you know? Right. So it could actually be a useful exercise, particularly, you know, if you do have a, a group that you get together with of maybe entrepreneurs or, you know, if you do have a coach of some kind, those are great people to say, hey, you know, I really want to talk about your perception of me and, you know, I want to get that additional feedback. Interesting. All right. So for people that would go to your website, karennab.com, and I will have the proper way to spell everything in the show notes, folks. Um, but Karen Nab is uh, K is silent in the Nab K N A B dot com, and one of the, the first thing you see on your website is how do you handle conflict at a company or your company, uh, which is probably, I guess, one of the normal starting places, right? When people look into these types of things, right? There's something that they're uncomfortable with in their work environment, and. They maybe know if it's a specific person or they maybe just say, like, I just don't feel comfortable addressing this person or it could be my team or it could be, you know, a confidence issue. And so this all tracks back to developing people into more assertive leaders. So assertiveness is the key for everything. And I know that's going to be a big topic in our next in the next podcast that we're doing is how do we be assertive and what does that actually look like in real life? All right. Good segue for me because I was gonna, I was going to say I, I know I took you off track a little bit, but I wanted to make sure we we got everything in, and uh, knowing that we were going to be doing at least uh, another show before the live show, uh, I wanted to make sure we got in everything before talking about how to be assertive properly. I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, so we talked about the four styles. Very nice. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's go ahead and do the break, and uh, we'll come back and do a part two, uh, which will not be right away, folks. So don't think that I'm hitting stop, and then we're starting right back up afterwards. There will be a little bit of a break in between, but 
We are speaking with Karen Nab, Executive Leadership Coach. Our, her website, KarenNab.com. And we'll be chatting more about how to be better leaders and how to communicate and resolve conflict. What'd you think? I'm asking you. Oh yeah. Oh, this is wonderful. I I love being able to share this information with more people because I just know how helpful it is. And it's such a relief for people to know, oh, wow, there's a way through this, right? I can change this and I can get help with it. All right. Well, Karen, thank you for hanging out and, uh, looking forward to the next podcast. And I did tell people on my last live show, uh, you're the guest that gave me homework. So do I have <laughs> sure to give did. you, do I have to give you the homework next time or later? I don't remember. Uh, I think in our next show, we're going to go through okay. the homework. <laughs> I would get my, I would get my homework done. All right, folks, Karen Nab, And, uh, thank you very much for downloading and subscribing to the show. We will be back. Uh, real soon with part two of this podcast on leadership styles. I don't know what I'm naming the podcast yet, but I'll come up with a good name. So Karen, thanks. Uh, We'll talk to you in a little bit. Okay. Thanks, Marvin. All right, folks. See you soon. Holla.